Hi, I'm Aaron, and welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, a podcast all about, well, you guessed it, hip hop. I will be interviewing artists and exploring the genre I love. My hope is that you will begin to love it as much as I do, if not more. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for any upcoming podcast news. All right, let's get into it. All right, welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast with my man, Nick Natoli. So if you haven't seen him before, highly recommend checking him out. So the, the cool thing about you is you are actually on a on Platinum Hit um, on Bravo first. And then you, yeah. then you, that kind of kicked off your your entire career. So you've worked with artists like Snoop Dogg, YG. Uh, you've got a bunch of credits out in the industry, and now you're actually kicking off and doing your own thing. So, not the usual kind of artist path. Yeah, man. I mean, the platinum hit thing really gave me like my foot in the door in the music industry. It gave me some fame, a little bit of a name, but for the most part, I was kind of left in a position where I had to work for everything after that point. So, you know, I, I started a record label with my buddy in Hollywood. We eventually caught the likes of people like Snoop Dogg, French Montana, uh, YG, etc. And um, I, de- I de- delved from being a writer to being a producer, and that really opened up the artist thing for me. So once I became a producer and started producing for people like Snoop, etc., I started really uh, doing my own artist stuff kind of behind the scenes. And I was still working with other big artists and kind of learning what they did. And being an artist was always in the back of my mind. And then eventually once I got signed to Warner, it was like a real opportunity for me to go, you know, uh, balls deep into it. So did you, were you surprised when they started hitting you up? Like I imagine that's a period of time where you kind of can never really prepare for. Yeah, I mean, like for me, I'm uh, even though, you know, I have a manager, I have a management team and stuff. I'm always managing my own career. I'm always hustling. I always outwork my talent. Any opportunity that you've seen me get in the past 10 years, I've taken that and I've elevated it into something much bigger. So like Platinum Hit got me on national television. I took that and turned it into a career with Snoop Dogg and French Montana. And then from that, it propelled into getting signed to a publishing deal and a record deal with Warner. And now you're seeing what I'm doing with the artist stuff. So how did you get that motivation? Because, you know, a lot of people will turn around and they'll say they have these dreams, but obviously there is a difference between having the dream and actually going out and pursuing it. And, you know, the success that you're seeing is not without its challenges. Sure. Yeah, man, I'll, I'll attribute all my motivation from coming from absolutely nothing. Like my family is, you know, we don't come from money. We never had a golden spoon in our mouth, etc. So it's always then whatever you're going to get, you're going to go out and bring back to this house. It's not going to be given to you. So for me, you know, I was, I was on the street at one point, a couple of years before Platinum hit, actually, I was fully homeless, not a dollar in my pocket and just trying to figure out like what I was going to do. So for me, I've always been a hustler. And the moment I got on national television, I, I just took that opportunity, like I said, and I ran with it and nothing could stop me. You know what I mean? Like I'm never going back to the situations that I was in before. That's kind of a big part of the motivation. So tell me what happened when you kind of got to like, you know, the bottom, when you felt like, you know, you were homeless, you, you didn't have a dollar to your name. Like what happened there and what led up to that kind of period? Yeah, man, I actually took my guitar because it was the only thing that I had at one point and started playing on the street here in Burbank, California. 
and I would go up to people and, and write them a song or, or come up with something off the top of my head. And I would just get cash, uh, you know, cold hand cash from people. And that's how I was eating. That's how I was living, et cetera. Um, my mom at the time was getting an email about Platinum Hit and she knew my situation. She knew where I was at. And she was like, you have to go on this audition. I'll take you, I'll drive you, et cetera. And um, God willing, you know, that turned into a full-time songwriting and production and artist career. But if I never went on, on that audition, I really don't know where I'd be right now, to be honest. So that was literally like, you know, do or die. That was like, you know, from literally from nothing. So how, how was that experience? You know, because you would, I'm sure you would have felt there was a lot riding on that. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, for me, man, um, we were actually in my mom's house watching American Idol. And she was telling me, um, you know, Paula needs to hear you. If Paula hears you one time. And I was like, no, mom, I think Carity Aguardi needs to hear me because Carity Aguardi's that chick, man. Like, she'll get me. She'll know my vibe and stuff. And then once I got cast on Platinum Hit, they didn't tell us who the judges were. And Carity Aguardi just walked out. So it was like, all the stars aligned, everything we were talking about manifested and it was, it was right in front of me. So I worked my ass off on that show. I ended up placing fourth, but um, you know, most people know that I won that competition when it comes down to it. The, the <laughs> music industry that, the, that we're in today is the real competition and nobody from that show is doing anything. So it's like, it's right there for you. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about the show as well, because it's obviously American based. I'm based here in Australia. I'd never heard of it until oh, wow. you know I started looking into into your career and who you are because they only have one season, so it's oh, yeah, not like it did not well. <laughs> <laughs> but at least your career did. So the interesting thing is, like you know, the show flops, and you hear this in a lot of reality TV shows. Not even in like the music industry, but there are like you know comedy shows and whatever you want to call it, but. Why do you think and what do you think the difference is between the people who they may not win the contest, but they're the ones who actually, you know, come, you know, anywhere between, you know, fifth to second or third yeah. or fourth, anywhere in that range? I mean, from being on a reality show and being a reality TV star, I'll be perfectly honest with you and saying a lot of it's scripted, a lot of it's, you know, um, uh, managed and changed by the producers. You know, they really want to um, appease their audience at the end of the day. So if they, you know, think somebody is cute or if they think somebody will definitely sell records because they're in this, you know, market or genre, they'll push for that person to win for sure. Uh, I think a lot of that was in my case, to be perfectly honest with you. I was like the bad boy on the show. I was like talking shit about everybody else and everybody hated me. So I feel like I kind of got myself out of the winning um, of that show on my own, to be perfectly honest with you. So you were just kind of just having the competition and they, you know, they wanted the clean image. Yeah, 100%. Well, you know, they're, every TV show is out to make money as well. Like they don't. You don't make totally. a TV show to lose it. So, but I was going to ask you as well, because I noticed when they listed kind of your background of what you were doing, they listed you as a telemarketer. Yeah. That's, that's what I was doing at the time. I was working. It's so funny, man. I was working at Dish Network selling TV programs to people over the phone as a telemarketer. And when I got the news that I was going to be on Platinum Hit, I was still working at Dish Network. So I actually got to walk into my boss's office and take the Dish Network pamphlet and show him. I said, you know, this network right here, this Bravo. And he's like, yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm about to quit because I'm about to be on it. <laughs> <laughs> epic moment in my life so you're one of the few people 
that can turn around and go, I had that quit moment that I can go into my boss oh, and yeah. go, oh, this is Oh, yeah, hard. 100%, man. I mean, you know, coming from nothing, like my family didn't have money and stuff. So for me, I've always had to work at a ton of, you know, different shit jobs all over the world. So for me, I kind of take all of the work ethic that I had at those jobs and apply it to the music industry. You know, I, I treat this like a day job. I treat this like it's a real, you know, career, which it is. So it's like, I'm up very early. I'm promoting my music. Um, you know, I'm working 12 to 16 hours a day, either on my craft or, you know, getting it into the right hands, et cetera. So it's, it's only helped me, especially the telemarketing aspect. Yeah, well, I was actually going to say, because my I used to be in sales and selling over the phone. So I used to work for one of the big banks here and they would come okay. in and, and I would just sell and I would just clear products. But now, because I've got a full-time job as well, people, I like to call it my quote unquote real job, but don't, don't <laughs> right. tell my boss, this is my actual real job. Um, <laughs> but but like the, the cool thing is that the sales hustle taught me so much, like just that ability to, all right, what do people want to hear the way to put things out, just even in the way you speak to, to individuals will change the way you can actually come across. Totally. I mean, at a telemarketing job or any phone job, you're learning how to pitch something. You're learning how to pitch your product, have, you know, a tolerable voice that people can hear and hear clearly. And for me, it's like, I've, I kind of applied that to the rap game. Like I don't like the mumble rap. I'm very clear spoken with my lyrics for the most part. And um, yeah, I mean, I hustle just like I would, you know, when I was working at one of those jobs. So it's only helped me and made my career, I feel like, advance tons, you know, just because I have that experience. I think it's underrated that, you know, the experience that you get from working like, you know, that nine to five, that hustle, that it kind of shows you this is not what you want. Like, you know, it kind of shows that like, you know, I, I look at my life and I'm like, and I actually had this discussion with one of my friends, like literally yesterday. And I was like, if I look back on my life and I spend the next 40 years in a job where someone's telling me what to do, how to think, when to arrive, it's just not something I think I could, I could do. And I think a lot of people are feeling that they're just too scared to take the risk and go for something. Yeah. Yeah. 100%, man. I mean, when you put yourself um, out there, it's like, you, you really have to, you have to have some balls in order to do that. You know what I mean? And any sort of experience where you've had, where, like you said, you had a boss telling you what time to be there, et cetera. That's only going to motivate you more if you get involved in entertainment or something that's so that you never have to go back to something like that. And for me, I was like, well, platinum hit, you know, didn't make me a millionaire, but I'm going to make myself a millionaire off of, off of platinum hit. And I'm going to elevate that to the next thing all because I don't want to go back to my old life. I don't want to go back to living on the street. I don't want to go back to answering to the man and fucking, you know, punching in a, cl a clock and in. It's like, who wants to do that, man? And the irony is you probably work harder now than you ever worked in the past. The only difference is that you get to decide what you do, how you do it, when you do it. And there is something that's way more empowering about you know, the 12 to 16 hour day that you decide versus right. the eight hour day that somebody else tells you that you have to do. For sure. And it's a lot more of a competitive business. At the end of the day, anything in the entertainment industry is just way more competitive. You know what I mean? Like the my, my ex-employees at Dish Network weren't like trying to jump over me to get some weird opportunity or something. So it's like, there's really no friends in this business. You get fucked over a lot of the time. And so it's, it's I have tough skin because I just have tough skin. You know what I mean? I've, I come from the bottom. So 
it's like, for me, I'm ready for anything. But at the same time, I know I wouldn't be experiencing this in, in that old profession. This is a way harder industry. Yeah. And that's why you see those people who, who start, but they don't last because the idea of being famous is really nice. And the idea of being successful, and this is in any industry is really nice, but you don't understand to you actually work in it, the actual sacrifice that you have to make, you know, people like Kanye weren't Kanye for the period that he was hustling. He said it took him 10 years to become yeah. Kanye West. And, you know, yeah, man. And that's a, that's a big inspiration to me is that fact that he was behind the scenes producing for people, getting a name and stuff, and then eventually had enough clout and enough friends in high places where he could do his thing. You know what I mean? Like my story is obviously nowhere near as successful as Kanye West yet, but at the same time, I can kind of relate to that because that's pretty much the same deal as me. It's like, you know, you, you get in where you fit in and you work as hard as you can. until so you get into the position to where you can do what you really want to do. You know, uh, you do what you have to do until you can do what you want to do. Yeah. And, and I guess that is the challenge that, what we see is especially fans like what we see is like you know the cloud everybody sees the fame everybody sees the money and so you know when you're young the idea of that sounds really good but you know you no one sees the the fact that you still got to put food on the table so you still got to work a normal job and then you got to go to the recording studio and then it sounds shit and then you got to go back and you got to keep paying and it costs money 100 man i couldn't agree more like nobody sees the struggle of the grind they just see all the accolades that come with it you know i was alone in a bedroom singing and playing my guitar every every time i got off of work from a place like t-mobile or dish network etc so for me i was i was um you know a preparation uh, when uh, preparation meets opportunity, that's the definition of success. So for me, like I was prepped and ready for platinum hit and I blew those producers away the first audition. I, I was a shoe in and that's all because I was nonstop working on my craft, even working a, a shit job like, t like uh, Dish Network, et cetera. I was always like, you know, I need to be prepped for when the opportunity comes and it did. Well, it's funny because even just speaking to you, like I can, I can see you as the salesperson. Like I like oh myself I, right now. <laughs> well, it's funny because like I I train and I coach and I hire salespeople. That is essentially what I do. So when I see you and the way you speak, I can I can imagine you back on the phones hustling oh, yeah. the same way, just the same tonality, just going hard and just not holding back. One hundred percent. I could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman wearing white gloves, and that's any day of the week. So. <laughs> Well, I was going to ask you because you, you mentioned your mom, but what was your life growing up like growing up like? How was that period of time for you? And how soon did you realize that you wanted to be an artist? Um, it was very rough. I'll start there, like extremely rough. We had no money. Um, you know, we don't have a huge family. So it wasn't like there was a lot of outside help that we could get. My mom was very young. Um, she was 18 when she had my brother. She was 20 when she had me. So um we we struggled man like she moved us from uh garfield new jersey which is where i'm originally from to burbank california um you know when we were like when i was like uh, i'd say like five six so we came over here and she was trying to be an actress uh going on auditions and being an extra to pay the bills and stuff so like we really struggled um i had a really rough time in school i i don't really like authority and so i was kicked out of almost every single school that i ever attended um, which made it even harder for my mom, who was a struggling actress. 
and um, we we just struggled and grinded and eventually came together to make ends meet. But it was tough, man. I didn't have a father. Um, you know, I met my dad when I was 16 and that was like the end of the relationship. So it's, uh, you know, it, it was a struggle, but I always knew I wanted to be an artist. So I, I used to watch uh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker when I was a kid. My first words were, Annie, are you okay? Uh, then they were, where the fuck is daddy? And, <laughs> but I, I really, I struggled, man. And I feel like struggle breeds greatness. So at the end of the day, it's like every, all of my attributes that I have now, and I attribute that to going through struggle and not having something to eat one night or being on the street or being addicted to drugs and going into multiple rehab centers and sober livings and stuff like that, man. It's like, I really struggled up until I got the, the opportunity that I got. Well, I was going to ask you, what made you kind of fight back to authority? Like as a kid, like it is, you either, you see a lot of these different kids and some kids, they, they thrive at school. They just find the structure really nice. And then other kids, they struggle. But what was it about that authority that you struggle with? Do you know what it is, man? It was, they were shutting down the most um, operational part of my brain, which was the creative part. So when I went to school, it was all about math and science and PE and shit that I just did not want to do and not be a part of. I got in trouble, I think, at a, one school for bringing a Michael Jackson glove and like grabbing my crotch and dancing for the girls and stuff, because that's really what I wanted to do. I always knew I wanted to be an entertainer. I always knew I wasn't going to have to use pie and know what the fuck any of this shit means. And I was right <laughs> at the end of the day. It's like, you know, I made it to where I wanted to be to somewhat of where I want to be. And it's like, you know, I knew I was going to be in the entertainment industry at the end of the day, no matter what. So I felt like they were just holding me back. And I knew that at like eight years old. And I was right. I mean, here is, this is probably the challenge for every school is like, you know, I agree that schooling is not great at like, you know, fostering creativity, that what is what is considered, you know, the the best roots are, you know, the classic fields of intelligence quote unquote so you know that english math science but you know only recently i think has there been a move to really foster that creative kind of feeling but even still like there are so many limitations on the types of creativity and there is only so much budget for like you know helping people discover that part of themselves yeah, I mean, um, you know, there's all these, you know, certain schools that you can go to that really do foster your creativity, but we didn't have the money to put my ass in a talent of the art school or nothing like that. So, you know, looking back, I wish I was pulled out and homeschooled like much earlier. But at the end of the day, it's like I said, struggle breeds greatness. And all the things that I went through, you know, I put into my music and I talk about the school system and I talk about how they don't do anything for the creative mind or the creative person. So, you know, one of my biggest goals is to make enough money and to get enough clout to where I can go back and help children that were like me and were really creative and really didn't belong in that kind of school and see if I can introduce like a music program or an arts program, et cetera, um, that people can use as an alternative so that they don't have to go through what I went through. Cause it was tough. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's a great idea and, you know, admirable for you to have that as one of your goals to set that, you know, give back to the community. And you see a lot of people doing that now, which is, I think it's a change that has come and a wave that artists are now realizing, you know what, I might, my duty to society is more than just creating art. It is to give back and help others succeed yeah. in, in a way that I wasn't able to and give them opportunities that I didn't have when I was growing up. Totally. 
Yeah, I mean, like if, if I could do it, I would I would literally build my own school where people can come in and, and learn on their own time and learn when they what they wanted to when they wanted to, because one of the biggest struggles for me was the, the lack of freedom. I felt like a slave in school. You know, I had to be there at eight o'clock and I had to sit and listen to this lady and I had to do this. And lunch was over when they said it was over. And it was just so much control. And a lot of my music talks about, you know, going against the system and going against the control system and and I, I feel like I felt that back then and I still feel that now. I feel like human beings should be somewhat free to kind of create and do whatever they want to do, to, you know, obviously with certain limitations. But for the most part, I don't think that they, they should be in some sort of a slave type school system where they're forced to do anything. I think forcing a kid at an early age to um, uh, abide or to do whatever it is that your agenda wants them to do is a form of slavery. And it's not, you know, I don't think it's conducive. Yeah, I think it's it's a weird mix because I definitely see like I personally liked school. I liked high school way more than I liked primary school as a kid. Um, but I think part of it is finding a balance of understanding like the challenge that we have is that it is like, you know, every person learns exactly the same way, learns exactly the same thing and you just go up the levels. And the challenge is that people learn differently. Like I reckon I'm a good audio, like I, when I listen to things and then I can interact and like, I, I love language. So when, hence why I'm doing this. So like I'll learn way more by talking to you than I will by reading about you. And that yeah. that is like my style of learning. Like I'd rather discuss an idea rather than just listen to somebody who just says it at me or read it. So like, uh, that's why I love audio books. Like they'll, it's like someone talking to me. And so then yeah. in my mind, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting idea. I can think about it, but yep. it's not the same when I'm like reading it off the page. So I think that schooling lacks that ability to really use different people's learning styles. And, you know, teachers struggle with that because you've got 30 kids in the class. How are you going to adapt to every kid in the class? All of them, 100%. And everyone's graded the same. And, you know, everyone's on the same kind of scale. And not every kid is, like you said, um, the same. Every, every kid is unique and every kid is different. And they did a very good job of confusing me and making me believe that I wasn't smart, that I wasn't intelligent, you know, that I, I couldn't um, comprehend the reading and stuff that I, was, that I was doing. And that really wasn't the case. You know, I, I couldn't do it on a test on Friday after we read the book on Monday. Do you know what I mean? Like, that wasn't what I was good at. But I could, um, you know, create a, an idea in my mind about what I thought about what I read. And you know, the kids sitting next to me, Bobby, could never do that. And I could write a song about the story we just listened to or wrote. You know what I mean? Like, but this kid couldn't. So why are we being graded the same? Why are we being looked at the same? You know what I mean? And grades, I feel like, really affect kids. You know what I mean? Like failing something and seeing an F on your paper. It's like, it'll, you know, it'll, it'll really hurt somebody's feelings and kind of make them feel less than. And for me, you know, the, the, the unified school districts that I went to, they made me feel less than, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't until I got into the music industry that I started to get a confidence and a feeling of worth or self-worth because I was able to write that song or, or write this lyric or do this rap very well. And that's when I started getting the, you know, accommodations and people were like telling me you're amazing. It's like the first time I heard that shit. Yeah. And they don't teach you life skills either. Like, you know, like simple stuff. Like I feel like there is, there's so much like I worked cause I worked at the bank. Like I learned financial things from working there. I had to know the products. I had to know how things work. And I was like, right. 
imagine if people actually learned this at school, the way credit works, the way, you know, up to works, like how to manage finances, like, you know, basic accounting that, you know, they're like, you just don't learn that at school. You don't learn how to change a tire. You don't learn how to, you know, do those basic things. Like I'm not a handyman at all. Like I can't do any of that shit. So, (laughs) and and, and I'm just like, well, I didn't learn that at school, but I did learn how to read a book. And as, as that was so helpful. So it's like really difficult. And then maths, I was like, it got to a point and I was like, no, nah, I did. I did like advanced maths in like year 11 and 12. But okay. uh, it, honestly, it got to the point when they started introducing letters. And I was like, man, this is English. This is the wrong <laughs> thing. Um, but they used to ask me questions. And like, I, I was like, I have no idea what is going on. I go to the teacher and I'd be like, hey, can, can you explain this? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it would make sense. And the first question was about apples. The question two is the exact same question, but it has oranges. And I'm like, I got no idea what's going on. Like it's <laughs> exactly the same, but they just changed what the what the thing is. And I, I, that's when I realized, all right, Aaron, you thought you were good at maths and, and I was when I was a bit younger, but that level of maths was too high. So I stuck to my English and stuck to that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. If we were getting, uh, you know, if we were in like an ancient culture, an ancient civilization, they would teach us the things that are going to be applicable in our lives. So we might have to learn how to hunt and throw a spear. We might have to learn how to make, you know, uh, our own clothing. We might have to learn how to, you know, defend the homeland and stuff like that. But these in this culture, they're teaching you bullshit. They're teaching you stuff that's just not applicable. Like I've never used algebra one time in my entire life, but I, I failed it twice. I had to get a tutor for it and all this stuff. But it, it was it was pointless to me then. It's pointless to me now. Like I'm not an advocate for kids like dropping out of school and just trying to be a musician or anything like that. I think there's a lot of great social values that you can get from just being around other kids when you're young and getting in a fight is actually somewhat good for you. Do you know what I mean? Like I think all of those social interactions can be positive but at the end of the day they're not trying to get you prepared for this world like you said they didn't teach you how to change a tire they didn't teach you how to manage a checkbook i feel like this is all um uh the the control systems designed to make a product and the product is not really intelligent um smart beings who know what's going on on this planet it's people who can put some letters and some you know um, you know, times tables together, etc., and and it, it just doesn't really serve you in this world. It's like those are the things that you should be learning, and they're you're not, you're not learning them in school. So I'm like, what's the point? I wonder if that's why creativity is not fostered as well, or traditionally hasn't been fostered as well, because the thoughts that quote unquote creative people, and I believe everybody's creative. You just have to know how to unlock it and what it is that is creative to you. Like I can't you know, write things down in the sense that like, I can't draw, like drawing, I have an image in my mind and I cannot draw to save my life, but I can use words and I can use language and I can perform and be in front of people and speak. And that is my creativity. That is my version. Can I play an instrument? No. Can I sing? No, but we just have to find our own stream. And, and I think that once you do it, it unlocks a different type of thinking rather than, you know, by the book, you know, very structured. Sure. At the end of the day, I think that 
creativity really brings people together in ways that, you know, the government or the control system don't really want. I mean, the majority of the people that are super duper crazy creatives, they turn to people like Michael Jackson or Tupac Shakur, and they eventually have a creative idea about the United States government or other governments around the world that are probably not that favorable to the American government. So, or any government. So it's like at the end of the day i do think that they're trying to shut down creativity at an early age to like i said create a product of a person who's really not going to have a creative idea about the vaccines or have a creative idea about you know government restrictions and if they think it's bullshit or not you know what i mean they just want people who go along with the system and do their algebra well i've always thought that you know the the way to test an idea is that you talk about it so if you have an idea nick and i disagree and then we have a discussion about your opinion and my opinion. And if either one of us at the end of that discussion goes, actually, you know what? The other person made a really good point and it changes the way I see things. That is good because it means that my opinion wasn't as well formulated as yours. And if you can you know, convince me otherwise, then that is the way that we kind of move forward rather than the combative like me against you. Like I hate this idea of like, you know, debates. Like it's weird to me, the idea of a debate. Like, why can't we just talk? There's no winner. We both win because of the discussion. Like, exactly. why is it that there are judges that sit and go, oh no, you won because I'm the third party and I just listened to you. It's just strange to me. Like, why can't we just talk and just see where we end up? Yeah, I, I agree, especially like with all these reality TV shows like American Idol and stuff where they just judge, judge, judge about people. It's like you don't know um, how somebody's going to react to this rapper or this singer, etc. And here you are telling them, you know, no, and that you're not good or this, that and the third. I don't really believe in the grading system. I don't think that we should be grading people um, because at the end of the day, it's like that F stuck with me. You know what I mean? Does my teacher remember what she gave me today? Absolutely not. She has no idea who I am. But for me, I remember the letter grade that she gave me and how it affected me. And it's like, you don't need to be doing that, especially the children who are hypersensitive, just learning who they are in this world. And you're telling them who they are. You're telling them they're an F. <laughs> it's like, I don't agree with it. And I agree with what you said about de debates, man. At the end of the day, uh, two people coming together um, and having the same goal to walk out of it with a peaceful understanding of one another's opinion is everything. You know what I mean? That's really how... Um, you know, the presidential election and all that stuff should go or the presidential debates, et cetera, should go. But it's, it's not. And that's like, again, by the control system, in my opinion. Yeah, I, th I think it's just this strange me versus you, whereas yeah. in reality, we can succeed together. Like you're like, if you succeed, Nick, it doesn't mean I can't succeed as well. And that is that is, I guess, the strange kind of weird place that we are right now and i guess it, it feeds into you know just the feeling that we have in terms of politics as well and it, it all feeds into one another but there is this my side versus your side where in reality like if we just came together and just spoke like both sides would probably get a bit of clarity on you know what maybe maybe they have some okay ideas maybe this idea for this policy is not the worst and maybe on the other side they'll be like well your opinion on this different idea is good and we can kind of work together but it's like i don't know it's just too too much i'm on this side you're on that side me versus you and no matter what you say i'm going to disagree with and that just doesn't hurt
doesn't help any human at all i agree and you see that hegelian dialectic um, get played out in many other areas of our of our social settings it's like that's the race thing right now it's like we have this amazing race war that's happening where blacks and whites are you know uh, everyone's fighting and it's like at the end of the day if they came together and and spoke to one another on like the world's largest panel we'd probably have this thing that the government doesn't want us to have which is called peace you know, at the end of the day, divide and conquer is the greatest strategy of any controller um, in the history of the world. And you're seeing that nonstop. It's just divide and conquer. We have it going on with the mask society right now and people who don't really want to wear a mask. It's like, you know, we're not coming together and we're not coming together based out of love. And that's causing this hatred and this terrible dynamic in, in my country, I'm sure in yours as well. Um, where people are just not coming together and talking about the problem and instead just judging and hating each other based off of what they believe, et cetera. So it's like, you're totally right about that, man. There should be no debates. Well, the, the, I feel like the U S kind of amplifies everything that is here as well. So like every, every time I, I look at anything, it's like, it's taken to the extreme, which is challenging because it's like, well, no, let's dial it back a little bit. It doesn't have to be zero to a hundred, you know, we right. can slowly ramp up. And it's something you learn in sales is that, you know, when you speak to somebody, you don't start at a hundred, you start low right. because once you get to a hundred, you can't go back down. The other person's at a hundred as well. So you've got to like slowly just build. And if you have to go up, you'll go up. But you know, we, I feel like we're at a point where people are ready to go to a hundred at a moment's notice when, you know, it can be resolved at 10%. Like you can just have like that. And we just struggle with that. And I think we're not great at interacting with other humans. I think we've forgotten how to just talk and just how to listen. Yeah. I think there's shades of gray with almost anything. And I think that the controller's job is to make it seem, excuse me, seem like it's very black or white. So like with the mask thing, for instance, just an example, they're saying that people who don't want to wear masks are trying to get you sick and they're trying to kill you. And it's like, at the end of the day, a lot of them, you know, have respiratory problems. A lot of them have asthma. A lot of them, you know, have real anxiety and don't want to be locked in a mask all day. It's like, you know, they're, they're trying to make it seem like if you're not with us, you're against us and you're against us in the worst way if you're not with us. And that's really not the case. You know, a lot of these people are just good, kind-hearted people who just don't want to wear a mask. Do you know what I mean? You, that, that exists. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just think that, you know, everyone amplifies the worst of the quote-unquote archetype. So if like you're uh, an anti-masker, that word itself is so divisive that is like you yeah. know that is filled with if i say anti-masker what is the image that comes to your mind it is probably going to be middle-aged white man or woman yep. who is yep. privileged who is well off probably middle class or above has yep. you know drives you know a station wagon drives a nice car and then goes to the supermarket and abuses the people who work there that is yeah. the image that is that is in your mind, but it's not really reality. That is just what you see over social media, and that is what you see in terms of, you know, that of course there are people like that, but that is not necessarily everybody. And for me personally, I didn't love wearing a mask, but do I do it? Yeah, I do. I did. For me, that's me personally. So, you know, there is no kind of one fits all. 
Yeah, I agree, man. Especially to apply that same conversation to this whole cancel culture that's going on right now. And they're canceling, you know, um, Warner Brothers characters and Looney Tunes characters that we grew up on. Pepe Le Pew's getting canceled right now. And the idea is back to that whole black or white situation. Well, if you watch Pepe Le Pew, he's kind of rapey. You're definitely going to be a rapist. And that's really not the case. So it's like, you know, I watch Pepe Le Pew. I'm not a rapist today. <laughs> it's like you have the opportunity to have these shades of gray in society and some of this art uh, that they're trying to get rid of is some of the greatest art that inspired me to be even be doing what I'm doing today. And if you cancel that, you're really, you're canceling the culture. That's why it's called cancel culture because it's canceling the culture. It's canceling what we grew up on and some of the greatest movies and, and stuff that we hold very near and dear to our hearts. And I feel like at the end of the day, it's all about them thinking it's either black or white, you know, especially with the race, the things that uh, have, uh, racist content. Some some movies have racist content in the movies. They're like, you know, it's either black or white. If you watch this and you liked it, you're racist. Well, I watched American History X. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm a black man, so it's like, what do you mean? You know what I mean? There's there's shades of gray to almost everything. Well, I think the one thing that people forget about cancel culture is the importance of learning from the past. And sure. once you get rid of that stuff, it stops your ability to look back on it and go wow, I can't believe we used to think that was okay. And, right. and there are movies that I watched, like I watched Rocky recently and Rocky was one of my favorite movies. But Damn. I realized that if you look into it, like if you watch the movie, the way Sylvester Stallone and, and the character Rocky and, his, and the girl he's courting actually hook up is actually super dark. Like he... He, they go on a date and they walk home and he like coax, like convinces her to go into his apartment. She's like, yeah. you know what? I shouldn't be here. And he's like, he yeah. puts his arm on the door and blocks her from going out. And and I look at that and I'm like, holy shit, that was okay back then. It's yeah. not now, but it's important to know that that is where we come from. It's important to learn those lessons. And if I never watch the movie, I never have the understanding of, oh, this was okay. This is the journey that we've been on. And I don't mind warnings. If there are warnings before going, hey, this behavior is not okay, prepare for something to be offensive, whatever it sure. is, but that opportunity for learning and for growth is really key. That's a great point, man. I've actually never heard anybody say that. That's a great point. And I did watch Rocky recently, and I think I did notice that he was a little rapey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Because I just watched it as a kid. It went over my head. But watching it again as an adult, I'm like, holy shit, that is not okay. And, yeah. you know, he had he won awards for that movie. And yeah, that was, what, 1974, I think it was. It was like, you know. He directed and wrote that, which I got to give him credit for, man. It's amazing. He was also homeless before that as well. Apparently. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, so he, he apparently wrote it himself and he refused to sell it to any studio that didn't put him in as an actor. So he wanted to act in it. And so people wanted to buy it, but not with him because of his speech challenges. Speech and thing. So wow. They, that makes it, a lot more sense. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it's crazy. And you look at Sylvester now and he's, you know, one of the most if successful actors in that generation. And yeah, again inspiring story but you just look at the time period where it came from that story and you're just like mm, murky waters 
Yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't happen today. You know what I mean? Like that Sylvester Stallone probably wouldn't be a star based off of his speech impediment today. You know what I mean? So it's like at the end of the day, it's it's you know, we're we're moving towards a completely new aggregation of people and culture. And it's it's scary and it's a little dangerous. But um, I you know, I'm hoping that we're headed in the right direction. You know, I can only hope for that. Yeah, the fingers are crossed. I mean, we can only control yeah. what we can control. <laughs> exactly. But I was actually going to ask you, because you mentioned before that, you know, you met your dad once and that was the end of that relationship. And I just wanted to to see what, what that experience was like, you know, especially as a teenager, that can be a traumatic experience, like very challenging because you have so many unanswered questions. Yeah, I mean, I was like campaigning for it. I was telling my mom, like, you know, I'm ready to meet my dad. I'm ready to know who this guy is. I want to meet him, etc. And so I was excited um, to meet him. And I was very let down. <laughs> you know, it's just somebody who really wanted nothing to do with me in the first place, you know, had no problem with the fact that I was lost for 16 years of my life. You know what I mean? But for me, it closed the door and it closed the chapter of my life that I kind of needed some closure on. And it was one of the greatest blessings because I got to meet all of my brothers and my sister who's on that side of my family who I'd never met. And they're still in my life today. I'm about to go see them in a few days. And we, you know, we have a great relationship and it's been continuous. And so I didn't get a dad, but I got, you know, uh, four brothers and a sister and you know that's that's a blessing in disguise so and so why was your mom reluctant to kind of introduce the father was it was it around those lines that she kind of knew the way your experience would go yeah I think she was kind of calling it before I, I met him she was like you know I don't think 16 years is going to change this guy I knew him back then you don't know him the whole the whole story was like you don't know him in the beginning like you know um, and I, I think I really started asking when I was pretty young and she just kind of deflected it. And, you know, we, we had a stepfather in the picture, you know, um, so there was that, that whole dynamic of like, I didn't want to step on his toes and, uh, you know, go meet my real dad and that kind of stuff. So I, you know, she kind of helped me dodge a bullet at the end of the day, because she was right about who my dad was, you know what I mean? He's, he's not a good guy. Um, he's not a person who really wanted kids. Do you know what I mean? It was, we're all accidents <laughs> you know what I mean so well it is a challenge as a kid to kind of you know this again going back to that archetype of like you know what a father and what a mother look like you know you, you watch these movies of these you know perfect parents and you know I think I'm very blessed for, with my parents but you know recently my parents got divorced and the the, the image of you know, especially my dad in terms of like what I thought he was as a as a man is very different to what I think now of who he is. There is just like, you know, as a kid, you think they're superheroes as an adult. You're like, I see the flaws now that they are just like anybody else, that there are challenges and that, you know, everyone's working through something. Yeah. I mean, as you get older, you, you kind of understand your parents a little bit more. And, and sometimes, you know, you take um, your foot off the gas of the hatred because you're like, oh, shit, like my mom was broke and she was supporting three kids and going on, you know, auditions and still trying to do her career and stuff. And, and sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes you apply the acceleration of the hate and um, and you realize, like you said, their flaws and you can kind of see you know, uh, what their um, shortcomings did to you as a kid and, and all the things that affected you that you didn't even know where you, you were being affected by because your parent was a drug addict or your parent was cheating on your mom, etc. It's like you can kind of step back and have a firmer under, uh, understanding and enlightenment about the situation once you've reached a certain age. 
I'm um, sorry to hear about your parents getting divorced, man. That sucks. Nah, it happens. It was like, you know, it was a blessing. They weren't happy together anyway. They were like married for 26 years. And, you know, I still, you know, I still think my mom's like the greatest parent ever. Um, right on. <laughs> very, very lucky to have my mom. I think she, because I got two brothers as well. So, um, yeah, so two younger brothers. And to be honest, I think a lot of who we are today comes from, my mom, I think my dad was a good dad, like a loving father, but I think he was a shitty husband. And I mm. think that that is sometimes the difference we forget. And you can be a good husband and a shitty dad. And yeah. they're, not, they're not the same. So I think that he was probably, he liked the fun mm. stuff. He liked, you know, being the superhero. Mum did the hard stuff. So um, right. in reality, I think, you know, mum did a lot of the heavy lifting and a lot of the, the burden and, you know, blessing in disguise. Cause um, as I said, I feel very lucky for, for, for where I am today and very lucky to have gone through what I went through and by no means is it as hard as it is for other people, like other people. Sure. And at the end of the day, it's like, I try to remove some of that um, responsibility of both my parents and say, at the end of the day, I got out and I had to make, you know, Nick Natoli, Nick Natoli. So it's like, I don't want to keep, you know, blaming the fact that I never had a father, that my mom was broke as fuck. It's like, all those things are what helped me become me. And then I went out into the world and I did with what I could. So it's like, you want to obviously be conscious of it and know where some of your own shortcomings come from that might have been passed down through genetic traits or you know not uh, the dad not being around but at the same time you have to be an adult and pick up that responsibility and say yeah but I get to choose who I'm going to be so and that's where really where I'm at today it's like you know I've got no you know uh, ill will towards him or anything like that my dad I'm just more like you know I understand you a little bit more and I I'm not you you know what I mean so and that's the greatest blessing that I could have ever gotten. It's like, I made myself into the man I am today and I don't really have to look back or blame or, you know, point fingers. It's, you know, it's nothing to me. Yeah. Well, that was one of my biggest fears that I was like, I'd turn into my dad and I, I, I won't. We're <laughs> very different individuals. I have like, you know, very, very different outlooks on life and kind of what we sure. want to achieve. But I was going to ask you as well, because Nick Natoli, obviously that is a stage name as well, but is that your real name? That's my real name. Yeah. Do, what's the origins of that name? Because like, when I read it, I'm like, oh, he's gonna be Italian. I'm, I'm Italian and black, man. It's a it's a it's a rare mix. But um, yeah. So I took my mom's last name. That's Natoli. And um, it, we're we're from Italy. We're, we come from Naples. Um, if you trace it back to like our great great grandparents. And uh, my grandparents um, are actually two songwriters for uh, Frank Sinatra. So oh, I've wow. always had, song, yeah, they wrote a song called Here's to the Band by Frank Sinatra. So I've always had big shoes to fill. I've always kind of known that I want to be in this industry and put my own stamp on it. And um, they're not impressed by anything I do. That's <laughs> 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 just being real. That's so funny. But I, I say I like... I, I'm Russian by heritage. So naturally I've always gotten along really well with like Italian people and like Greek people oh, no. because the cultures are very similar. Like family is big, you know, there yeah. is a, food is a really big part of the culture. And like, uh, I just feel like when I meet those families, I'm like, oh, it's like being at home. Like it may be different food. It's a different language, but the feeling is the same. There is just a real 100 on it. My girlfriend's Persian. She's from Iran. And um, the moment that I met her family and had dinner, I was like, I think I'm here to stay. Yeah. <laughs> because, 
it reminds me of my, you know, Sunday dinners at, at my aunt's house in, in New Jersey with my big Italian family and meatballs and all this great food. And, the, you know, it's culture. It's like, you know, um, that's why they say like a lot of these cultures can, you know, mix and and, uh, and match because they, they really are the same at the heart of it. Do you have an Italian dish or like a, a dish you grew up on that is like your favorite that is like whenever yeah. you're with your family, you, you wish oh. you have it? Oh, yeah. Penne a la vodka with chicken and shrimp. Are you familiar with penne a la vodka? I am. Delicious. Gotta have the pink sauce, man. I love it. I love it. At the same time, my, my aunt's meatballs are to die for. If I, if I was on my deathbed, I'd probably request the meatballs, to be, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I love my mom's lasagna. My, oh. Like, uh, everyone says, like, my mom has the best lasagna. My grandma has the best lasagna. But like family dinners and not you mean it? Yeah. Oh, it's a massive tray, and she just makes a huge tray. There's like four of us, and she makes a tray enough for like twelve people. And she's always like, "Take it home." And I'm like, "Mom, if I take it home, I'm gonna get so fat because the way you know it's a good lasagna is it has so much cheese. It has you know the layers of pasta, the meat. It's not good for you." Oh yeah, it's not good for you, but it's so good for you. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's bad for the body. It's good for the soul. That's right. That's right. Going back to your your music, because I was, something that I noticed in terms of your music is that you're not specifically one one genre artist. Like yeah. you you have a lot of different kind of genres you hit, but do you feel like you're still working out where you're where you really fit, or do you like going from one to the other? So my idea is to be the first multi-genre artist of all time. I've never heard of an artist who really, like I just dropped a country album a month back and then I just dropped an R&B album and obviously like hip hop is pretty much my main bag, but I've never heard of a rapper dropping a full on country album where they're not rapping and they're actually sounding country. So for me, I always wanted some of my favorite artists to delve into other genres and to do some cool shit like that, but they never did. And that's usually because the label's like, well, we're not going to know how to sell Bruno Mars as a country artist. We just don't know how to do that. So for me, I wanted to be the artist that I always wanted to have as a fan. So I'm, I'm literally the embodiment of that today. I'm like, I'll, I'll switch up the genre. I'll sing the hook kind of folk and then I'll rap on it or I'll do some, like I said, a country album, et cetera. And that's really just to change the game. I'm really trying to be the first to do something like this. That's really what, what, what the motivation is behind that. Well, it was interesting because when I was listening to your music, I was like, all right, hip hop, you got me. Hip hop right. hustle, this is, this is my my shit and then all of a sudden i was like oh this is so different like it's just like it's not generally the sound that i would listen to so it was so interesting for me to be like which nick natoli we gonna hit like every album is gonna be surprised am i gonna get you know the lyrical miracle am i gonna go through the the smooth flows because your flows are really good as soon as i I was like oh shit like take away that auto tune those songs with auto tune and take away the country and i'm like oh like this is the stuff that that you have to go into so like it was really interesting for me to be able to see like the blends and the different genres that you actually hear i appreciate you listening man at the end of the day i've done hip-hop enough i think at this point to where people know i can rap and know i'm very serious with my bars and i'm very lyrical so i feel like once i've kind of proved that to people then i could start diving into some pop stuff and show them that i can sing and then show them that I can be diverse and do multi-genre stuff. 
And you're only going to see a lot more of that. Like, I'm just going to take it all the way. I want to be one of the first artists to do a song in every different language. So for me, it's like, I, I got a lot of practice to do <laughs> when my Chinese song comes out, <laughs> but I just want to do something that's never been done. I mean, sometimes it might not even sound the best or it, sound, it might look whack, but for me, I'm loving it because I'm like, I'm breaking barriers. I'm breaking out of these boxes that the music industry and the control system has put on us for the past hundred years. It's like nobody's ever done. If, if nobody's ever done something, get ready and look out for the first Nick Natoli thing to do it. Cause I just, I, I want to break the barrier. I just want to be different. I think that's an exciting thing for your career is that like you actually, as a fan, I have a zero idea of what you might do next. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like you will be the artist that is like, this is a new album. I got my fingers crossed that I'm going to like it, but I right. know for sure it'll be different. Yeah, and I'm putting out a lot of music because as a producer, I can chop it up really fast. I make beats in like, you know, a, a minute 30 and they're three minute beats. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just, I do it very quickly. And for me, um, putting out a lot of music was something that I really wanted from people like Eminem. And we only got like two albums a year. And I was like, come on, man, like you could put out more music. So for me, the consistency and and just putting out you know a new record almost every month etc will kind of open it up for me to be to try these different genres and to try something but still come back to the hip-hop still give people what they kind of want with the bars etc and and hopefully still have a happy fan base well the interesting thing about eminem is he has hundreds of tracks on the chopping room floor apparently he Ooh, i didn't he, know that yeah he he is extremely extremely harsh on his own work and if he does not think it's ready he won't put it on the album which is why he doesn't release music for so long because he is wow. like really critical so he has just hundreds of tracks that he's made but he doesn't think ready and i'm like if eminem doesn't think he's good enough I'm right like, imagine what we haven't heard there must be so much out there and sure. you know something that that you're probably feeling as well is it just must come through you like all the time. You've always got something to do. And, you know, Eminem probably more than any other hip hop artist, he doesn't really make that his money in other avenues. Like you don't see Eminem often on movies. You don't see F Eminem often on TV shows. Like he might do the small cameo, but he is a hundred percent musician. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, I, I definitely want to delve into everything. You know, my, my, family is very like entertainment based my grandfather is joe pesci's stand-in so anytime you don't see uh, joe pesci's face it's my grandfather did he meet joe pesci oh yeah no, no joe pesci is like my godfather man he i grew up in with him in the house like all the time he used to fly out to jersey and spend the summer like just hanging with my grandfather all the time and so i have that like i gotta ask you just quickly, yeah. I know you were going to, just before I forget about Joe Pesci, because I love Joe Pesci and like Goodfellas and like, how is he as, as a guy? Like, I feel like he'd be a really interesting guy to just see. He strikes me like really old school, like very traditional in his beliefs and and like, but just an interesting dude you know, to be around. It's so funny, man. You would never expect this, but he's actually very insecure, very self-conscious. And it, nobody doesn't feel Joe Pesci like Joe Pesci. Like he's, he's not egotistical. He really, he was putting together an album at my grandparents' house called Joe Dogs. And the reason why he was calling himself Joe Dogs was because he didn't want anybody to know that it was him singing on the album. That's how wow. self-conscious he 
And the record label was like, well, how are we going to sell this record if people don't know it's you? And he was like, I don't know. You're going to have to figure it out. So he's a really low key guy, likes to hang out in like low key places in Jersey, go to diners and eat. He loves to golf. He's very, he's very chill, very cool guy. And he's helped my grandfather out a ton. So I got nothing but good stuff to say about Joe. I love that. But anyway, you were saying about, you know, the, in, I just wanted the the little Joe Pesci script. Yeah, yeah, no, like, I, yeah. I definitely want to move into the acting world eventually. I just feel like while I'm, while I'm still looking somewhat young, I want to do the music videos and do the artist career as much as I can. But like moving into acting um, and, and charity work and foundations and stuff like that is a huge passion of mine. Like I mentioned with helping kids, who, who are not that privileged or are in a school system that doesn't really suit them. These are all huge passions of mine. I'm sure you saw I was on BBC talking about conspiracy theories and stuff. I'm very passionate about aliens and UFOs. So like there's a whole world of media that's about to come out um, from Nick Natoli. But at the end of the day, uh, right now, I'm just focused on the music. Well, the hip hop hustle, we're riding that wave. And to be honest, man, like I love seeing where artists go, like, even even in the short time that we've been doing this and like a, close to a year now, I can see, you know, each of the artists that I've spoken to and see the journeys that they're all on. And it's just cool to be able to like, you know, actually see the moves that you make quote unquote and, and know the person behind the moves. Like that is, that is the cool part. And the challenge for every artist is that obviously the artist is the brand, but you know, you are a person behind that and there are feelings, emotions, challenges that, that come with that. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, like I said, I've had a, a really tough life. So what you're seeing right now, you know, is the um, is the kind of a, a equation of that. It's like, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to work very hard because my life was very hard. I'm, I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing no matter what happens. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I've seen much darker days than this. So it's like, for me, I'm, I'm having a ball. I'm shooting my music videos. Um, I'm sure you saw that I direct and I edit and I do all the effects for my music videos. Uh, I'm only getting better at that. If you look at the first video that we put out, it's like nothing compared to where we're at now. So um, same thing with some of the music. In my opinion, it's really elevated and it's gotten better. And that's really what I'm about. It's like working on myself, getting better and elevating to the next level. And um, you're definitely going to, you're definitely going to see my career grow and see this project go very far. Well, I just love that improvement path. I think that you know, that want and the desire to keep getting better will keep you in a good position. Like, you know, even for me, like I look back on the first interview that I did and I was shitty. I'm going to be completely <laughs> honest. I reckon my performance was horrible. And it was just like, and it was with an artist, Don Elway, and I appreciate, and I shout out to Don Elway for, for mm. speaking with me, uh, LA artist. Um, nice. Sorry, I think San Diego artist, actually. Um, okay. Look at me, I'm getting old. I can't remember what's going on but but Don Elway and I remember he we had to push back the interview and I thought it wouldn't go ahead so I was in my mind I was like I set up I was ready to go and then I started packing up my stuff and I get a message from Don going hey like I'm ready now and so because I started packing up I switched out of the I'm ready to go mode I like that that mental space that you're in it just, and I had to quickly like rush. I rushed, put everything, put the stuff up we're on. And I just was not in a good flow. I felt like the questions were not deep. I wasn't listening as well as I should have been. And I just remember going, tough start, tough start. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, man, you, you definitely elevated since that point. I love this interview. You're grooving. I like that you don't script anything and that we just kind of hopped on and started talking. Um, organic stuff is the best stuff, in my opinion. It's like when two people just come together with their creative brains and have you know, um, a, an idea in mind about what they want to talk about, et cetera, and to just do it, it comes out so much more, uh, you know, flawlessly and it just flows like water at the end of the day. So I love it. I love what you're doing. I love your interv interview style and, um, yeah, man, I appreciate it. Thanks, man. I appreciate you because to be honest, the, the cool stuff for me is that you're open and talk about the challenges in your life. And that is to me, what, where the interesting part comes from. Like, I love knowing, you know, that the you came from struggle and not that I love knowing it, but I love hearing that journey. Um, and, and to me, that's what makes each of us interesting is that we go through this path and, and, you know, the end result is not who we are. It's more the journey that the, who we are, but, you know, moving forward for you, what are your plans moving forward? Obviously, you know, we're in 2021 now, what is your kind of goal for the rest of the year? And what is your goal moving forward? Like you kind of touched on doing a bunch of different things, but do you have, like something in front of your mind? Yeah, I mean, one of my ultimate goals is to be on like a world tour and see the world because of my music, go to these places that originally I'm from, Italy and Trinidad that I've never seen before. And I want that to be based off of my music. So with the COVID shutdown and all the restrictions, it's been really hard for any artist to tour right now. Um, so that's a goal that I'm working towards. But at the same time, I'm doing these music videos. Um, I just dropped one yesterday and then three days before that and then a week before that. So we're very consistent. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm doing it. So me, me and my girlfriend, she shoots it. I edit it and then I do the effects and stuff. So we're a two person team and we're killing it right now. That's not going to stop. We're just upgrading our camera gear and stuff and just getting much better vi music videos that are going to come out very soon. And then um, there's a new album called Self Unentitled uh, by Nick Natoli that will drop, I'd say, in the next month or two. Um, depending on Warner and their release, you know, restrictions, et cetera. And then um, after that, I would say um, just to look out for probably some, some live performances just around LA until I could start touring again. Awesome. I think that's a great kind of platform. I mean, you've released what, three or four albums already, 2021. Like you yeah. know, when, when we talk about, you know, dropping albums, I have never spoken to an artist and, it is early in the year. It's not, we're not even halfway through the year yet. And you've already dropped three to four albums and you're talking about dropping another one The so the hustle is there, like the drive is there and you know, it's, you, you're going to make it because you know, you're just going to keep doing it until, until it happens. That's, that's the cool part is like, regardless of whether this album is the most successful or where it fits, you always know you've got something that's coming next. 100% man. And, um, a lot of a lot of what I'm doing, I'm I really do it for myself. Like I, I love that people are online and they're watching my videos and they're checking out my stuff on Instagram. But at the end of the day, it's really for me. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm kind of escaping depression and escaping anxiety and escaping my childhood and what went wrong by doing this. So it's like for me, I'm healing every day that I put a new music video out, and I'm healing every day when I shoot a new music video or when I write or produce a new song. These are all uh, band-aids over wounds that are that are very deep for me so it's like i appreciate that i have fans and i appreciate that people are into it but it wouldn't stop if there were none <laughs> it wouldn't stop it's just i love what i do so and that's why there's been four albums released this year and another one on its way because 
I love it, man. And I feel like not, not that not every artist loves it. I don't know if they love it as much as me because some of my favorite artists, I feel that absence, you know, they can take a year off or they can go, you know, relax on a beach and stuff. And for me, it's like my favorite time is when I'm creating. So. I feel like the genres change though, like as hip hop, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but you know, if we look back even 20 years ago, early 2000s, it's not as saturated as it is now in terms of how many people and, you know, social media has given everybody a platform to kind of do whatever they want. They don't need the backing of a big label. Right. You don't right. need to have to go to a studio. You can set up a studio at home. You can make your own beats, downloading programs and you can learn it all by yourself. And so there are a lot more people out there who are willing to do it. And, you know, I speak to a lot of independent artists and it just gives them the ability to do it. Whereas before social media, there was no way you could do it independently because it's just too difficult. You got to press the, the, the CDs. Not anymore. Sell. Not anymore. And it's, and it's, and it's great. And, but yeah. the, the real telltale will be the long-term, you know, success, whether the artist will last more than two years, whether they'll drop, you know, one, two albums and then they disappear or do they make a legitimate career and, you know, you're on that path, you've got a great foundation in terms of longevity and even better is you've got the foundation of some big names around you. So you know that it's not, you know, just a pipeline dream anymore. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, you know, got me signed to Warner was obviously some of those big names that I work with, but it was also, they knew that I was a hustler, man. They knew that like, they wouldn't have to work that hard um, promoting my project because I would do that myself. So it's a self-serving music industry at the end of the day. Now you can just start your career. If you have enough money to put your stuff out and, you know, promote it, et cetera, then you don't really need a big machine behind you. You've kind of become the big machine. And for me, what I was always doing, you know, working with artists like Sam Bruno and Neon Hitch and Bianca Ryan, I was always watching what they were doing, kind of seeing where their mistakes came from and always in the back of my mind thinking, well, I'm going to do it differently and I'm going to do it, you know, the right way, et cetera. Um, so for me, it's like, this was always the plan. Um, even since platinum hit, even with Snoop Dogg and all the stuff I've been doing producing wise in the hip hop game, I've always had the Kanye West mentality where I'm like, these are just accolades so that I can use this to platform myself to get to where I am today. So. And the good thing is you've got your unique brand. Like, I just love that. You know, you've got, you are you and there is no kind of fake. There's no lie in that. Like when I speak to you, I know that this is not an act you're putting on. This is like legitimately who you are. And part of that is also, you know, for people who listen to this, they can't, they won't see how you're dressed, but you're a bright colored dude. Like all your music videos, they're all bright colors. You're always wearing like, you know, just the most bright things and, you know, going to hip hop, usually most people wear black. That is like, yeah. you know, quote unquote, the gangster thing to wear, but you're like the complete opposite. You're just wearing all these swirls, your yellows, your <laughs> blues, your greens. But is that just, have you always been drawn to that type of dress? Yeah, man. I, I said this to somebody I was talking the other day, man. Six, nine, bitch stole my look. Like, he really... <laughs> And so I kind of was in a put in an awkward position when six, nine came out with these kind of colors and the unicorn. I was like, man, am I going to shy away from that and not be me? Because I've been dressing like this since I was a five-year-old boy, man. Like I have always liked, you know, a bright colors, neon colors, the kind of ethereal kind of look, the atmosphere look. And so, um, you know, my t-shirts and hats have always represented like a galaxy. That's kind of my, my mind is always in the stars. And so what you see on my body is always like kind of, you know, a, a nebula. 
And so for me, I was like, I'm just going to be me and be 100% and just be genuine and say, this is me. Do you know what I mean? Like, and if people don't accept it, that's fine. Then those obviously aren't my fans. But I know that a lot of people do like these colors and maybe they're scared to wear them. And maybe I'm like a symbol of something that they're too afraid to be, which is might help them actually put on their neon pink T-shirt. I'm cool, man. Like, you know, I'm straight. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really have any sort of, you know what I mean? Like, I don't have to hide anything or act like I'm something I'm not. I'm a straight guy who likes to wear pink and bright colors. And um, my whole thing is just being genuine and just being real because the music industry has ripped so much of that away from us. And the entertainment industry at the end of the day has ripped so much away from us that I just want people to be who they are and be original. I talk about that in, in two of my songs. One of them is called Original. The other one's called Someone. And I just, I, I, that's a message I'm trying to get to people. Just be you. Nobody else can do it like you. Everyone else is taken. I love that. I think that's a, a great way to finish off. Like hit, be yourself, you know, find what you love, find what really inspires you. And it doesn't have to be in music. It doesn't have to be, you know, if you love to write, do that. If you just find, if you love maths, do that. Like there is no real pathway there's no like you know you have to follow these steps it's just about going out finding what you like and you know i found this i found that i just i always knew i loved talking i a podcasting came out and i was like holy shit i love talking about hip-hop i've loved hip-hop since i was a kid and like you just got to find what you like and you know this is pretty much when i'm not at work and to be honest when i am at work this is all i think about so <laughs> um so that's that that's just that's just the reality like we'll find something as soon as you know as soon as you think about it when you wake up you think about it when you go to sleep you know that's what you should be doing that that is you know your true passion and outside of that the you just got to be willing to find it and if you don't know what it is try stuff you just got to try shit like there is no real kind of one thing where uh if i can't sing i can't sing there's nothing else well there's a million things you could be good at yeah 100%. 100%, man. And just to tell you, you're amazing at what you do. Like I said, this this entire interview slash conversation has been like water, man. It's been very fluid and it's just ran, you know, perfectly upstream because you're very organic. You, you know, you know, you have like um, an idea of what you want to talk about and there's no like stutter stepping and stuff. So I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be very successful. Just keep going and, and keep being motivated and stay on the same path that you're on, man. So I'm a believer. Well, I appreciate it, man. I really do. And it's not possible without artists like you, you know, coming on and willing to talk to me. And, you know, I, I really appreciate it. And I feel very fortunate to be able to to do this and just to to really go for it. And, you know, at the end of the day, at the start, people were like, mm, this seems like a phase. But, you know, I think they realize and the type of person I am is very motivated. Like, I just, I'm not a quitter. I don't give up. I've quit things before. And I hate that feeling. And this is not one of those things. So like, you know, I look at my life and I go after in 40 years, do I want to look back and have regrets or do I want to look back and go, I went for it. And even if it doesn't work out, I tried my best and I actually, you know, took the risk and that is what keeps me going. And, you know, I think that's a question that most people need to start thinking is, you know, you don't want to look back on your life and, and be filled with regret. That's the, that's my fear. You're speaking directly from my heart, man. I'm like, you know, I'm 33 years old now. I'm like, when I hit 40 or 45, what do I want to look back on? The fact that I never did it and that I was too scared and I didn't rock those colors that I love so much. Nah, dude. 
even if it's, um, you know, even if one of my videos hits one view, I'd rather be able to show my kids, this is what your dad did, you know what I mean? As opposed to, I didn't, I don't have anything to show you, <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're spot on, man. And like I said, you're only going up, you're very talented at what you do and just keep going, man. Just keep the motivation, keep the hustle going. And eventually all the stars will align for you. I believe it. No, I appreciate it. Well, with that, we'll finish off this. See, I told you before we started, I only planned one question on the show. And it's always the last question. And okay. it's probably the hardest one I'm going to ask. So, okay. so I'm going to give you the warning. A lot of artists tend to struggle with this one. But if you had to recommend one album that everybody listens to, it doesn't matter which genre, what would you recommend? You see, it's the first time we've had silence on this podcast. It is the yeah, hardest see, question. I want to say something that if everyone's going to listen to it, it's going to bring everybody together. You know what I mean? I want it to be like something where it's very positive and very spiritual, but I have to be, my, my, my music genes are taking over, man. I got to say the Eminem show by Eminem was so, is so inspiring to me that I would not be doing the hip hop game. I probably wouldn't be doing the music game if, unless I heard that album and I heard what he could do and how angry he was on that record and white America. Like I just, <laughs> I love that record, man. So I'd say the Eminem show by Eminem, it changed my life. There you go. And Eminem. So someone who I used to do the podcast with, uh, a couple of the we used to be called the Slim Fitty and Biggie Committee, but one okay. of the the members that they were our nicknames. So I was Fitty, um, Matt was Biggie, and Danny was Slim. There was we had this group <laughs> like three white dudes who just our friendship just bonded over hip hop, right? So we just created this Facebook group, and that's been us for like ten years, like that's it, awesome. it was way before we did the podcast. But his favorite Eminem album is actually. Uh, that same album so eminem show he loved it oh yeah i mean my mom knew every lyric off the album and i'm like when your mom knows every lyric off the album you've really touched you know different generations of people and that that album was everywhere man everybody was listening to it so that's a great one well it didn't hit my mom she still doesn't understand <laughs> hip-hop at all but you know Bless her because she supports me like nothing else. But she, and she still, makes lasagna. She and makes, she makes lasagna. lasagna. Yeah, you can't yeah. on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, no, as I said, I appreciate you coming on the show. It was a pleasure for me to be able to speak to you. And I'm excited to see what next steps you you do and, and see the cool things that you're that you're gonna jump up on. So, you know, I have no doubt that you know we're gonna see you see you continue to rise and I'm excited to see it. And you know, when you come down to Australia, I'd love to see you in person as opposed to yeah, you know over Zoom. So um for yeah, sure we'll do an in person interview if I'm out there, man. That'd be good. And you can have a tour and you can do the whole thing and that's just fingers crossed that we can travel sometime for soon. Sure. For sure. I appreciate you having me on, man. Thank you so much for taking the time out. And um, I'll do a quick plug. All of my stuff is at Nick Natoli, N-I-C-K-N-I-T-T-O-L-I. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, you name it. I'm on there. iTunes, all of it. And you know it's not going to be boring. He's always posting. <laughs> there's always something on. So if you want an artist that actually interacts, this is definitely the one to follow. So definitely check out Nick Natoli. And as as we said, Four albums this year already, a fifth coming. There's, You know that by the time this podcast releases, there are going to be more albums. It actually happens that quick. You know it. So we're probably going to be talking <laughs> six, seven, eight albums by the time this comes out. But 
you know what? Definitely check him out. Um, Star on the Rise and, you know, again, worked with some some huge artists and some ones we did mention Zendaya as well you've worked with and just just really cool, man. Like, as I said, you know, really talented and I'm excited to see what happens. Thanks so much, man. This was awesome. Let's do it again sometime. Definitely. You just tell me when and I'm pretty much available all the time. Dope. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for all upcoming podcast news. Bye for now.